You're listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center, a space for intellectual engagement, interdisciplinary collaboration, and a vibrant graduate community at James Madison University. Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center. I'm Becca, and today I'm speaking with John Jennings, Professor of Media and Cultural Studies at the University of California at Riverside, award-winning editor and artist. Welcome to our podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. So let's just jump right in. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your work. Oh, man. That, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so currently I'm a professor of media and cultural studies at the University of California, Riverside. Um, I teach classes around comics and contemporary culture. Uh, we just approved a, a minor in science fiction there. So I teach three classes in Afrofuturism. Um, let's see, right now I'm currently teaching the, the comics course and also a, an Afrofuturism and aesthetics course, which is kind of like an intro to uh, black speculative culture. In the winter, I'll be teaching um, a class on Afrofuturism and horror and one on comics, because a lot of time comics is, isn't really considered to be part of the Afrofuturist kind of like uh, cultural production method, but it always has been. So, yeah. So that's kind of like what I do as a, as a teacher. Um, but I'm a curator, an editor, comics editor, uh, scholarly editor. Um, yeah, I've done, and, and also make comics. My background's in art. So uh, for 20 years, I taught as a graphic design professor. So design history, uh, design methodology, senior studio, um, illustration stuff, stuff like that. That's amazing. How did you, what's the first moment you realized that mm-hmm. this was where you wanted to go for your career? For the media studies piece, you mean? Or for just any of it, stuff? comics, any of it. That's, oh, man. You know, it's funny because... You, I think when you first start thinking about it, you don't really think about it as a career. It's just a passion. It's like, this is something I want to do. You don't really know that much about it. Now, just kind of a little bit of background. You know, I grew up in, uh, I was born in 70, 1970. And so I grew up in this kind of post-civil rights era Mississippi in a very rural space, you know, from down south. And so, you know, we didn't have a lot of access to, you know, uh, these more urbanized spaces when it comes to comics and stuff. You know, I wasn't really thinking about, like, we weren't picking them up on, like, the newsstands and stuff like that. We were giving it, like, stop-and-goes and, like, gas stations like that. So I think that you were kind of distanced from, like, how comics are made and stuff like that. But I knew early on I wanted to be do something connected to comics, right? So uh, I think what happened is I kind of gave up on that dream, and eventually I ended up just going to become a, a commercial artist. And uh, But I guess the timing of it was really perfect for me because... When I was in graduate school, Understanding Comics came out, a Scott McCloud book. So that really changed the way that I looked at how I was making comics and what and how I was thinking about them as a medium. You know, so I think maybe in the early '90s is when I started thinking like maybe maybe there's something to this. And so when I went back to um, to teach at University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, um, I think that my 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 love of hip hop culture and also comics kind of started to to rise to the surface and i think that actually kind of changed the way i think of thought about my scholarship and everything so i would say like maybe in the early 2000s or so is when i was like you know this is a career path that has some validity you know yeah what was it like for you getting into academia and your mfa program oh man it was difficult at first well here's the thing well okay so when i came out of jackson state as an hbcu i went to jackson state university uh, I studied commercial art, which is like the great great granddaddy of graphic design, and um, we didn't have really, we weren't really well funded, so I didn't really understand, you know, what visual communication was, or like, we, I, I was really trained as a as a fine artist, you know, but the graphics, the the little 
graphic communication stuff we had was really like sign painting and it's very, very like analog, you know. And computers were just now peeking into. So we're talking about like the early 90s where like the Macintosh is like, oh, by the way, you can make graphics, you know, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> and it changed everything. Little did we know how much it was going to change everything. So um, it was difficult for me because I was trying to figure out what graphic design was and get into the MFA program. I took three tries to get into the MFA program. But here's the thing, though. When I applied, though, I got into the MA program. So I have a master's in arts degree in, uh, in uh, art education. And what I did when I was U of, at U of I, I took uh, undergrad classes out of sequence to learn more about graph design. And then I reapplied again. I didn't get in that time. And then the last time, uh, my mentor, Tom Kovacs, God rest him, he said, um, hey, why don't you put together a portfolio instead of sending us slides? Does he think it's called slides? I don't know if you got I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm just being silly. Uh, so so I put in a portfolio, and in, and because it was things that I worked on while, while I was there, they could see an improvement. So I was like, okay, let's get this guy a shot. And, uh, yeah, so that's how I got into my MFA program. And once I got in, though, I was just hungry. You know, I was just, like, learning like a crazy like – I did, I did well. And eventually they hired me back to teach. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, I was the first African-American chair of graphic design there. Uh, I was the second African-American to receive tenure in art there, you know, <laughs> in the school there. Yeah. And now the 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 chair of graphic design, I helped mentor, and, like, two of my former students teach in that program. So there you go. That's great. Yeah, that's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Are you – do you regret that it took you three tries, or do you think it helped you? I think it helped me because one of my one of the things that really motivates me is when people tell me I can't do something. I was like, "Oh, really? Oh, I'll show you." Spite and pettiness, <laughs> right? Yes. Spite. Oh my God, I'm so I'm the king of pettiness. I'm, I'm so <laughs> petty. I'm, I'm the mayor of Petticoat Junction. It's crazy. Sometimes yeah. you have to be in academia. Well, yeah, for real. And I was like, you know, who are you to say what my limitations are? You know, and I think they didn't realize like how inherently, you know, I mean, very judgmental, discriminatory those practices were. You know. Um, a lot of my work also is in like race and representation. So, you know, uh, there are a lot of racialized microaggressions, particularly in that school, actually. You know, there's a very, I mean, I used to call uh, University of Illinois up south, you know. Yeah, because it's basically there's, there's, there's certain uh, vibes and energies that you're familiar with coming up in a deep south, which is like overtly racist in some ways, <laughs> in most ways. And you go to a space that thinks it's not, you know, and it's like you start picking up these things. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was actually kind of a racist statement. You just said you just didn't know it, you know. And it's really interesting. It's like later on they did like this whole study on racialized microaggressions out of that school. It's very interesting findings, actually. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I think that there was, there were some like, prejudgments of my abilities that I think they learned from later, you know, and, and I think the, the professors that thought that I couldn't uh, work in that space became friends and, and, and mentors, like strong mentors later. So, Could you talk about how you're identifying your work in today's society and what you're doing in the industry? Because you've talked about race and that's yeah, yeah. obviously a huge issue for you. Yeah. How this you... is something I'm trying to undesign, you know, and I think, you know, Fairly recently, I came across uh, speculative design. Familiar with this speculative design, which it, you know is really popularized by Dunn and Raby. There's this uh, uh, this team out of uh, the UK, and they do a lot of work around speculative narratives as ways to kind of create uh, objects or projects or deliverables that become kind of like indexes for social issues. You know, but they use science fiction narratives to make these things right. 
And so I was thinking like, wow, first of all, they don't really deal with like Afrofuturist work. They only like, you know, Delaney's work or Butler's work or, you know, Nalo Hopkinson, Nadia Korofor, all these science fiction fantasy writers who come from, from the African diaspora or, or of African descent. And the other thing they don't think about is, and it's a broader context, is like the writing from people like, say, Derek Bell, who is a science fiction writer who happened to be one of the forefathers of critical race theory, right? So I was like, there's got to be some connections there, right? So I started thinking about race as a, as a fictionalized narrative. So one of the things that I, um, I started teaching at University of Buffalo was uh, this course called Race as Science Fiction, because that's pretty much what it is. It's a fallacy that that um, our identity is connected to this like made up thing. I mean, it's a biological differences, phenotype or whatever, because of wherever, wherever you, you know, your ancestors were from or whatever, because of the climate, because of, you know, the, the amount of sun you're getting, this kind of thing, right? But as far as like on a, on a genetic level, we're the same species, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's no difference. It's just optical, you know, it's just kind of like the optics of diversity, right? And especially if you do like a DNA, uh, you know, I just recently did my, my DNA ancestry and I'm, 39% European, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, Irish and, uh, and UK, but the rest is like West African, you know, because that's where my ancestors were snatched from, <laughs> you know. So anyway, um, so I've been really thinking about like design as a, as a race, I mean, excuse me, excuse me, race as design. Um, and so I came with this idea called critical race design studies, where thinking about the culpability of design and actually pushing particular notions about, you know, what, what race is and how it functions, you know? And so what I've been doing is creating science fiction narratives, comics, um, social events to kind of unmake that, to try to figure out a way to kind of either redesign that concept or just totally say, okay, let's, here's proof that it, does, that it doesn't matter, you know? And I think stories uh, are a space where we can actually create intersections or empathy, you know? And that's what, uh, that's what we need. We need to see the commonalities. And it's, it's really tripped out. What is it? I guess a human thing where you like, you just see the differences in someone, the quote unquote differences. You don't see the commonality, you know? So I want to try to see how do we design stories that make us see the commonalities, you know? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you've mentioned Afrofuturism a lot, which mm-hmm. is an amazing concept. How do you define it? Okay, um, so I would say that Afrofuturism is a cultural production method, primarily narrative, um, that deals with speculative cultural production that is Afrocentric, but that centralizes blackness or, or, or the or other perspectives that come out of the African diaspora. You know, so that could be for me, um, and some people would argue about this. I mean, the original Mark Derry's definition talks about it as being an Afri- African American, but of late. You know, there's been a lot of speculative fiction and fantasy coming out of the continent and out of Africa and also like from the from the from the diaspora, you know, so the islands like Caribbean and stuff like that. In fact, like Nalo Hopkinson, one of the premier, you know, science fiction writers of that, you know, of that space, you know, is Jamaican and, you know, the Jamaican Torontonian, I guess, like she grew up in Toronto, which is Jamaica, you know. But she does like cyberpunk. So it's almost Caribbean cyberpunk or like or black Caribbean queer cyberpunk <laughs> you know what i'm saying so so yeah so i'm thinking those you know speculative fiction that privileges an, an african or african dis, african diaspora perspective and it's not just science fiction stories but also dance art comics you know uh plays different the fact that it it, it goes into different uh production areas what voices do you draw inspiration from in that community let's see so i really liked you know, cause, cause, because Milestone Media is part of that original, even though they didn't know it, you know, Milestone Media was part of that kind of movement. So, like, people like, you know, Dennis Cowan, Mike Davis, 
um, you know, Dwayne McDuffie, God rest him, you know, people like that. Uh, the, the, the black independent comics community as well, which is very, is thriving. Um, writers like, you know, Samuel Delaney, uh, Nalo Hopkins, and Nadia Korafor, um, even like Afro, Afro-Latino writers too, like, um, Daniel Jose Older, right? Uh, Tanana Reeve Du. So most of like literature, visually, I'm looking at people like Manziel Bowman. I look like Machindo Kuumba, you know, um, performance wise, I'm looking at like Mindy and Keith Obadike. You know, there's a lot of like really, really wonderful. Oh, Sanford Biggers. Uh, more recently, people like Jordan Peele and um, and uh, Boots Riley. You know, the filmmakers. So you actually people are making films like this. You know, Ryan Coogler's Black Panther. You know, stuff like that, right? So yeah, these so it's a, it's a big space of, of things. Ronaldo Anderson, who's like one of the premier premier scholars. You know, you're not Yatasha uh, Womack, who does like, you know, who's a reporter slash journalist slash author. You know. Uh, and dance therapists, and, you know, so it's like, yeah, there's a lot of different spaces, you know. But a lot, mostly I'm drawing from ancestral spaces. I want to know more about, like, you know, the culture and, and cultural practices that I want to try to inform, you know, the writing and the creating that I make from, so. What other, like, industry folks do you connect with to do the kind of work that you're doing? Like, Wh- which do you bran- what fields do you branch out into? Oh, Who do you interact with? Mm. Okay, so fairly recently I've been doing, like, a lot of stuff in publishing. I'm really connected to the comics community, you know, to multiple versions of it. A lot of people think of it as one industry, but the comics industry is multiform, just like most industries. The mainstream comics industry, which is, uh, you know, the direct market, right? So, I, you know, I have connections there. Like, I have really strong connections with people like David Walker, Brian Michael Bendis. Um, let's see, who else in that space? Yeah, you know, Ron, Ron Wimberly, you know, is a good friend of mine, too. You know, who's doing stuff with Image Comics. Sanford Green, you know, uh, Chuck Brown, folk like that. And, um, yeah, and also uh, I have a book out with Lion Forge, which is a black-owned co- comic book company out of uh, St. Louis, right? So uh, the, uh, we have this book with them called uh, Black Comics Returns, you know, so it's a collection of, like, you know, 100 or so, like, black independent artists. You know, it's a big coffee table book. But, you know, there's uh, you have really strong connections with them. Like, a lot of the artists are friends of mine. Some of the f- editors, you know, are are good friends of mine, that kind of thing. But then, of course, in, like, mainstream publishing, um, you know, uh, our book, Kindred, is with Abrams Publishing, right? And, um, you know, so I have really strong connections with the Abrams Comic Arts kind of family there, sort of publishers and editors, you know. And uh, just recently, uh, I was given my own imprint with them. So I own, I own comics publishing imprint with Abrams, which is a big deal. It just got announced, like, a couple, few weeks ago. And so we're going to be looking at, like, you know, primarily diverse uh, speculative fiction um, across the board, and also some his, historic uh, nonfiction kind of stuff too. So, but yeah, that's where my so, so mostly publishing. The academy, I have a like pretty high profile with in the academy too. I have a lot of colleagues at different universities, so that's kind of like my main tracks is like the academy and like publishing. You know, like mainstream publish trade trade publishing. So you've worked on everything from your own project, Blue Hand Mojo, mm-hmm. to the graphic novel adaptation, Kindred, of mm-hmm. Octavia Butler's novel. What's your favorite type of project to work on and why? Well, honestly, I, I would rather work on my own stuff, you know. I'm really grateful and very honored to have worked on Kindred and to work on following books. We're working on Parable of Sora now, actually. So we're going to follow up books now. Yeah, exactly. And Parable of the Talents as well. 
back to back. That's the current part, which I'm already behind on sketches. <laughs> so, so if Charlotte Greenbaum hears this, I'm so sorry. That's my editor. I was like, I'm going to get your pages. I swear to God. But right now we're looking at, like, uh, you know, the cover designs and stuff like that. Um, but honestly, if I had my druthers, I would work on my own stories because I have a gajillion stories, which I think is why I ended up with an imprint. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, how do we get these 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 ideas uh, out, you know? But, uh, yeah, my favorite kind of stories are the, are the ones that are coming from me and my collaborators, I think. Kindred was an honor to do. It's just a really wonderful opportunity that I think has opened a lot of doors for us, though, so... Where do you draw inspiration from for those personal stories? And, like, where do you draw the inspiration to do this kind of work from? I draw it from the future. I mean, really, like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm approaching 50. I'll be, I'll be 48 in uh, November. And um, I think that once you get to a certain age, the death urge kind of kicks in. You, you realize that you, the, the likelihood of you living to be 100 is, I don't know, who knows, you know. And you start thinking about your legacy and you think about, like, the things you want to leave behind. And I think, you know, uh, for future generations, you know, if we don't, you know, drown ourselves, you know, with the polar ice caps melting. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm just saying? <laughs> We're in a weird space right now. It's really kind of freaky right now. So, I don't know. I think uh, I want to leave whatever things I've learned over the last 48 years behind for people to kind of learn from and maybe, like, make, not make the same mistakes that I have, you know. Or make better mistakes, you know? So, yeah, that's what, that's what I think it is. It's for the future, you know, whatever future that might be. So, I like that. Make better mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fail safely. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. How do you see your art impacting the world? Oh, I don't know. You know, <laughs> they need to tell me. I mean, it's people who, who are fans of the work or are inspired by this, how I make work, you know, and they pop up on Instagram or like on Facebook or something like that. I, I'm not really sure. I guess I don't. I don't really think about it that much. I just have to do the best that I can, you know, with the time that I have. Hopefully, you know, uh, you know, people are paying attention. But you know, if they don't, then I'm still gonna make it. You know, so I don't really con- concern myself with the impact as much as like I gotta get the stories out because the stories they don't let me alone. <laughs> They don't, you know, the images, you know, they don't let me alone. I have like a million ideas, you know, and it's it's insane. And I try to just work as hard as I can to get as much stuff out or take copious notes just in case, you know, just in case. I say, ah, well, he's not here anymore. Maybe we can carry it on, you know, if we like the ideas, you know. But I've been really good at pitching ideas to people. So I collaborate a lot, you know, because I found that, you know, most people don't have a lot of ideas. I know that's kind of weird to say. I you know, but they might actually have one really, really good idea and then like some okay ideas, you know. But I, I get haunted by amazing notions, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, wouldn't it be great if you did this thing or this show or this idea or this this logo, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I have to figure out ways to get them done. So I pitch them to people and if they like them, we work on them together. I share the IP because um, I'm not like Disney. I don't have like a gajillion dollars, but we do have control over the intellectual property. So that's kind of like how I work. So I have like me and my friend Stacy started this really loose collective of artists called Motherbox Studios, you know, which came kind of came out of the Kindred Project actually, because that's when I learned that I can't do everything by myself. Because <laughs> we had a very small amount of time to do that book, and I actually pulled and pinched a nerve, you know, working on the book. And I needed help. I needed help, so I actually figured out how to how to use help. <laughs> And I think that actually created uh, more of a studio vibe. So now when I think about projects, I think about teams, you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. how does 
It sounds like collaboration is a huge piece of what you do. It is. I love it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's necessary, I think, to get to get things done. And when you share ideas, you make them stronger, I think. Because you share an idea. People are, well, what about this? Do you think about this? They're poking holes in it, and they fill, or they're filling in the holes themselves, you know? And so especially if you have someone that has a really quick, like, story mind, you know, so it's like you're going back and forth, like, oh, what if, what if this character had red hair instead of, you know? <laughs> Instead of blue hair, I'm like, oh, well, how would that change the story? I have no idea. Let's 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 figure it out. You know, because stories are experiments, but they're also like um, they're way they're problem solving devices too. To me, you know, you're writing about a particular thing. You know, what is what is it, what is the problem you're trying to solve? To me, it's all design and and, and narrative. You know, a, a, a product or or a deliverable is just like a it's it's a system of of, of decisions or story making uh, turns to get to a particular thing. You know, we always think about the end result, but everything has a story connected to it. And some of them are sad and some of them are scary. And, and you know, you don't really think about what, it, what the story of that thing is, you know. So what are your favorite types of stories to tell? Horror stories. Really? Yeah, I'm a big horror fan. Oh. Because here's the thing. When you're scared, you're going to do two things. You're either going to run from the thing that scares you or you're going to fight the thing that scares you. It's a fight or flight response, right? Nine times out of ten, you're going to get the hell up out of there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, just to kind of protect yourself. But what if you can't? Well, the decisions, I think I think that when you're, like, terrified, you're, like, this pr- pretty much the pure, that's who you are, like, primally. <laughs> you know, it's like, what are the decisions you're going to make in that particular time? That's when you become either a villain or a hero or a coward or whatever you're going to be. The other thing is that um, a lot of decision making is made from fear, you know, not from love, unfortunately. You know, people say like love makes the world go round. That's very nice, and that that looks good on a on a on a Valentine's Day card. But really, I think it's about the stuff we really are afraid of the things we don't understand, and we create laws and regulation and walls and different things to actually deal with the things that that freak us out. When you, when you deal with the other, there's three things you're going to want to do. Either you're going to try to assimilate the other, destroy the other, or, or separate yourself from them. You know, and that, those, that's, that's human nature. That's what we've always done. And those are all fear-related. Um, if you don't understand something, you really are, like, undercutting it or, or, or creating narratives around it to, to justify how you treat that thing. And those are horror stories, you know. Well, you know, if you go out there, uh, those people down the street, you know, they're bad news. They could, like, chop you up and eat you. You know, you know what I'm saying? They kind of, you know, it's like, no, that is that true? <laughs> you, know <what> I'm <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so that's why I think, in fact, my mom was a huge horror fan and uh, action movie fan coming up. So I grew up, like, on like on a steady diet of exploitation film and, like, horror movies and Alfred Hitchcock movies and Edgar Allan Poe. And I grew up in the South in the, in the sticks, like, in the dark in the woods, you know, so it's like stuff out there, <laughs> you know. So I had this really active imagination early on, and I think that as a as a as a technology, horror is very useful to unpack social justice issues. You know, for instance, if you look at all the Twilight Zone stuff or like Tales from the Crypt, they're all like morality tales. They're talking about what it means to be human, what are the decisions that you make in a particular uh, situation. So that's why I think my science, weird fiction and like horror, I think, are really my favorite things. You know, because you know, it's 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 hard to scare the hell out of people. <laughs> Actually, we've seen so many things. You know, especially with comics, comics are really difficult to to make a scary comic. And some people are mad, like Gail Simone's uh, Clean Room. That's a really good book. She's terrifying. So, she's so good. She's one of my favorite writers. I hope she hears this. I love <laughs> her so much. You know, because Clean Room was excellent. Or like uh, Becky Cloonan's um, Southern Cross. That's a good book. That's a really good book. In fact, I want more of it. You know what I'm saying? So I want to I want to write stuff like that. You know, where it's like I'm. When people read it, they're like, this is unsettling. What's next? Because it prepares us 
for these fights that we have to have, you know, these existential existential dread, so to speak, the sticky, nasty parts of being human. It's all not, it's all, it's, it's not all sunshine. <laughs> so it's like, and I think I've always had an affinity for those kinds of stories. It's weird, right? I don't know. Someone has to write them. Somebody has to pick them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I make fun stuff too. Like Kid Code, you know, it's this crazy time travel, hip hop, graffiti inspired thing. It's nuts, you know. But uh, most of the stuff I write, you know, I guess, and I've always talked about this, I have an affinity for dealing with darker subjects without them affecting me as much as other people. And, I don't know, and maybe it's just because of my mom and I unpacking what scares us. You know, I remember, like, talking to her. We would watch horror movies together, and we'd talk about, well, what was that scary? And, blah, blah, blah. you know, she was, we'd have conversations about, like, well, you, I saw that you were shaking. You know, what, what's going on? Like, oh, you know, and so we had these conversations about horror and about, like, oh, well, what's scary? And I think it's made it apparent to me that that, it's a mechanism that you can talk about these issues with. So that's why. Sorry. I teach a whole class on Afrofuturism and horror. Whole class, you know. I would love to take that Yeah, class. yeah, you would. And when I was at UB, I taught an art class called The Medium is the Monster. So it's all about the monster as a, as a mechanism to talk about the other. And we had a whole section on, like, demonization of female sexuality. Yeah, I think I traumatized some of those students, man, because I was showing them some wild stuff. They're like, oh, my God. But we had to make an art show afterwards. And I think I think overall that people really liked the class. So, And uh, it was funny. We had this one young lady that would laugh when she was scared. <laughs> so we were watching the movie, and she just burst into laughter at the, at the most terrifying moments. It's like, I'm so sorry. I'm just really scared. I'm, I'm like, you're ruining the movie. Anyway, <laughs> it's <not> so funny. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. You've talked about your students a lot. What do you? What advice do you give them when they ask how they can do what you do? Oh, I'm like, first of all, don't try this at home. <laughs> <laughs> don't try it at home. I guess for me, I guess the first thing is um, follow your bliss. You know, and I know that's very, that's very Joseph Campbell. You know, but I feel like I've made, I've made the decisions I've made have been led by what by that little voice in my chest, in my head, in my soul, or whatever. It's like that doesn't feel right. You're on the wrong path. You should re- you should you should go this way because that's the thing that you're attracted to. And I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at that. I've gotten better at listening to my instincts and and what feels right to me. Because if you really know yourself, if you really pay attention to yourself, you'll understand like what you need to be doing. If you want to be an artist, be an artist because life is short and nothing is promised. So it's like you know everything is like on the edge. You know anything could happen at any time. I say, if you go out, go out doing something you love. And um, if you don't want to be a doctor, don't be a doctor, you know. They hear what your parents say. I'm sorry. They don't know everything. For sure, they don't. And you, yeah, yeah, brought you in the world, fed you. But guess what? You have to become your own person. And you have to be happy, you know, with the decisions that you make. So with my students, I'm like, you know, play hard, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and learn from your mistakes. But really pay attention to the mistakes you make, you know what I'm saying, because they teach us too. So those are things that I talk about. Don't be afraid to ask questions and to, uh, you know, um, live, to live a life. And I think the more that you live your life, the more you understand yourself and the more you understand others and the more you understand where you need to be. Because, you know, college is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's like, well, I don't, I want to know how, I, I don't understand like what, how you're doing and, I want, and I, you didn't give me what I needed. I said, yes, I did. I gave you exactly what you needed. And you, you'll know that maybe a decade later. Thank you. You know, congratulations. <laughs> You're now a human being. <laughs> go, yeah. go out into the world and, and be bold. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think, I think that, uh, again, it's fear. You know, you're afraid to fail. I mean, honestly, when I graduated from high school, I was 17, and I always wanted to be an artist, but I didn't have any roadmap. I had no roadmap. 
And my mom, she encouraged me to be an artist, but she thought it was a hobby. And so when I said, I want to be an artist, she's like, what? No, I don't want you to. <laughs> I was living with my grandparents. I wasn't living with my mom at that, at that point, but I still listened to her, you know. Anyway, so um, so I was living with my grandparents, but I still listened to her as counsel because she was my mom. And she was like, well, I'd rather be a doctor, a lawyer, or retire from the military, anything but that, because you're going to, you know, you're going to die in a box. You're going to cut off your ears and <laughs> Just some crazy stuff. I was like, what? What are you talking about? But she had no conception. No one knew. No one knew that, you know, the art is an actual profession that you can have and actually be successful and, and do wonderful things. Like, somebody's making all this stuff, right? But we didn't know. You know, if you can't see it, you can't be it, right? So first first of all, I've always endeavored to become the type of teacher that I always needed. So, like, you know, I wanted to become the person that I needed when I was young. That's what I want to be. So when someone like myself comes across me, it's like, ah, yes, I see. I know that, that, that you're out there, that I can do this, right? Create a path, you know, so let's make it easier for, like, future generations, right? So you can track my path, you know, so, oh, this dude did this thing, did these things, you know? The other thing is um, um, I did go to the military, actually, but I was running away from who I was. It's crazy to run into the military to, to run away from being an artist, right? But I hurt myself. I was in, a, in this uh, kind of accident, and um, so I actually have a piece of steel in my right foot, and um, that's when I realized that parents don't know everything. You know that she, my mom was wrong; she was really, really wrong, actually. And I was like, you know what? I don't know what the hell is going to happen, but I need to be an artist. And the universe itself, God, the Creator, you know, uh, Santa Claus, whatever you want to <laughs> call, you know, what I'm saying every spirit out there is like, dude, you're on the, you're literally on the wrong path. So we're gonna break your foot to show you symbolically that you're on the wrong path. You know, so that's how I took it. So I went to Jackson State for for art. I didn't know what the hell I was gonna do, but I made a, a life out of art and doing what I felt was right for me. So yeah, so that's why I try to teach the students. So don't try to be like me. Try to be like you. But first, you gotta figure out what the hell that is. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. get out, get get through the the rigmarole of being a human being. It's like, okay, where, where am I? And what what is what feeds me and what feeds my soul? Because you know, at the end of the day, when you look back at it, you know, do you want regrets, <laughs> or do you want to be like, you know, what I was on a roller coaster and I had my arms up, you know, the whole time. Take life as it hits you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so. great. So. I've got one more question for you. Oh, it's probably the hardest one. So, <laughs> if you went out tomorrow, mm-hmm. what would you consider to be your defining work that you'd want people to recognize after you're gone? Oh, man. Let's see. Well, that's really tough. That's really tough. I don't know. I don't know. I've done a lot of stuff, and I'm really proud of a lot of things. Hmm. I don't know how far I can answer that. You know, honestly, I think that it's probably going to be in my students. You know, whatever my, Whatever legacies my students uh, bring, or or something else I'm really proud of too, is I co-created the um, the black the black comic book festival at, at the Schomburg. The kids that come through there, they don't have to go through what I went through, you know. And I think that's actually a really cool legacy to leave behind. Um, I've theorized about a lot of things. I've, I made some work, but I think for the most part, like the conversations that I've had with with spaces like actually creating uh, spaces where people can be empowered. I think those those are probably like the proudest things, you know, because they're ongoing. So SoulCon, the Black Comic Arts Festival on the West Coast, and, you know, the, uh, the Harlem Festival, you know, are part of my legacy, you know. So I think I'm really proud of that. They were very successful, and they feed a lot of people here in their soul, you know. So that's, I think that might be it. But, I, but I've taught, like, so many students, like thousands of students now. It's crazy, you know, because I started teaching, like, 27. 
So I've been I've been in the, I've been in the trenches for a long time. <laughs> you've you've influenced a lot of people. Yeah, it's yeah, a great yeah. thing. Yeah, so I think it's a good thing. Hopefully for the best. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we'll see. It's like God, Josh, I hated that class. You're stupid. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's <I was> like, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Oh, it was great. It was great talking to you. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for conversations at the Cohen Center. Thank you for listening to Conversations at the Cohen Center. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at JMU Cohen Center. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at cohencenter at jmu.edu. Our intro and outro music come from Phase 3 by Zylo Zico. You can find out more about them at freemusicarchive.org. <laughs>